0: Do you crave meaningful conversations with people of different backgrounds and perspectives? Do you admire certain people from afar, but wish you can get to know them on a deeper level? Thankfully, we live in an incredible age where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond the often manufactured soundbites, small talk, and social media posts we are bombarded with on a daily basis. This is a podcast that seeks to provide you Our listeners with refreshing content from a variety of inspiring guests, a place where we can truly hear their stories. I'm Karen Corin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 20 of Soul Sessions with KK. I'm your host, KK, and today's episode will be featuring Efra Turk. Efra Turk is a licensed mental health counselor and she works primarily with those who are struggling in relationships. I came across Efra Turk when I saw her Instagram live with Project Proactive and I was fascinated with what she had to say. She's certified in emotion focused therapy, otherwise known as EFT. And she really works with those who are struggling in relationships, all kinds of relationships. But this episode, we're going to be focusing on marriage. Yes, that's right, marriage. You know, I feel like amongst family and friends, we're so much more open and honest about our struggles with ourselves and parenting. But rarely is it spoken about the relationship we have with our spouses because I sense that You know, people want to portray this perfect image, that they have a perfect relationship and everything's great and amazing. But after listening to this episode, you're going to come to understand that there's actually no such thing as a relationship, a marriage, without conflict. And the closer you are to someone, the more conflict you're going to have. But don't despair because conflict is good. And a thought will give us the tools that we can utilize in our marriages to help us closer and have a better connected relationship. Without further ado, I'd love to introduce Efrat Turk.
1: Hey everybody, I'm here with Efrat Turk. Efrat Turk, there is so much value that she's going to bring into this podcast. We are at a very, very vulnerable time in our lives and everybody's talking about how to survive quarantine and Efrat is here to talk about how to survive your marriage in quarantine. Because this is a topic that a lot of people are uncomfortable speaking about. And Efrat is here to get to the nitty gritty about how to make your marriage great or survive in quarantine. So without further ado, I just want to introduce her. Efrat, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be part of this. Oh, same here.
2: Yeah, um, definitely super excited. I know that quarantine is hard for so many people for so many different reasons, and marriage is definitely a big one, um, you know, myself included. You know, we're all in the same boat. We're all kind of living in close quarters, and everyone's going to be getting on each other's nerves, which is totally
1: normal, and um, I'm excited to be talking about this topic. Thank you so much. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do and who you are?
2: Absolutely. So um, I I live in Queens. I am married with two children. I am a licensed mental health counselor. I have a private practice in Brooklyn and Queens, and um, I am certified in a modality called emotion-focused therapy, which is a relationship-based modality that um, really addresses all different types of relationships. Um, And obviously here today, we're we're here talking about marriage in particular, and I think that emotion-focused therapy, EFT, is a really um, huge component of understanding the couple and the dynamic in which a couple works. Um, So yeah, um, that's basically what I do.
1: So can you tell us a little bit about emotion-focused therapy? What is that and why you went into that specifically?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So
1: um, let me think for a second. So
2: EFT um, is a passion of mine, and the reason why is because when I first started working and I was seeing like a whole host of things, um, obviously people are coming in, presenting with so many different challenges and issues that they're struggling with. What I found is that EFT really was a modality that I was able to use that really helped me see success. Um, When I saw couples come in and they were able to really learn how to express themselves, how to connect, how to create that really closeness that they're craving. Um, EFT really did that really, really successfully and honestly, really quickly. And just like in any job, you wanna feel a sense of accomplishment. Um, That's really what led me towards pursuing couples in general, just Mm -hmm. because I really felt like I can see the success, I can see them really, you know, getting closer and it's definitely hard work and it's there's a lot of ups and downs throughout the process. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like it's just so rewarding to be able to just have a couple walk out of my door and live a happier life.
1: Can you give me an example of a method of EFT? Like an example either either from your work or just anything that you can think of?
2: Yeah. Um so I'm gonna I guess in terms of describing EFT it's like a whole topic in itself. Yeah. I'm going to try to condense it as much as I can. Notes. Um, what do you say? Like a clip notes version. Of yeah. clip notes. Exactly. So, okay. So I'll explain a little bit about EFT. Um, I want to, I want to first highlight that, um, every relationship really, every relationship has conflict. Um, and if it doesn't have conflicts, then it's not a relationship. And as much as people want to believe that their relationship is perfect because they never fight you never argue. I think that people are really living in a dream world or I wouldn't even call it a dream world. Um, I'd probably call it a nightmare because it's not really a connection. It's not a connection. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that with any relationship that the closer you are to someone, the more conflict you're going to have. Because what happens is, is that you tend to create your own needs from the relationship you're developing with that person. So if you, um, let's say a parent-child relationship, Mm -hmm. for example. So in the beginning, right, the child has a lot of needs. And um, obviously, as they get older, they will only have more needs. They just shift um, in terms of the type of needs that they have. And the closer a child is with their parent, the more they're going to want from their parent. The more they're going to want that connection and more they're going to want the support, the emotional um, needs that they have from their parent. Is even more and and what i've seen is with people who come into my office who don't have a close relationship with their parents um they tend to um there's obviously there are, they still have needs because it's their parents but there tends to be less um conflict there's less kind of like you know those dynamics that you see in a close relationship There's more of just like a a politeness um maybe more of like a wall i would say um, and that's because there's a lack of closeness there. And so what I'm getting at is that every relationship has a cycle in which the it works. And looking at marriage, um, typically there's roles that people play in a relationship, in a marriage. One person tends to be the pursuer. Is, that's what EFT calls a pursuer. And I'll get to that in a minute. And the other is called the withdrawer. And so what the pursuer looks like, they're the annoying one who probably everybody blames for being the problem in the marriage. They're the ones who are like annoying and needy and critical and angry and frustrated and yelling. And everyone just kind of like, well, if they just worked on themselves, then the marriage would be fine. Um, And then there's the withdrawer. And the withdrawer is the person who, um, growing up, they probably learned to avoid conflict Um, to escape from any sort of reality that they're living in because it's too painful and to really just pull away when they're experiencing any sort of hurt or pain. And so um, what I've seen in couples is that obviously there could be two pursuers married to each other. There can be two withdrawers. Again, that's not much of a relationship.
1: Um, Isn't that that cool stonewalling? I've heard like John Gottman's, like the four different. Four Yeah, the four horsemen of a relationship, and stonewalling was one of them. And I heard that stonewalling, when you're not talking to each other, is actually ten times worse than any other yeah, conflict.
2: Yeah, absolutely, way so worse.
1: Like with two with two, two with drawers. Playing? Yeah,
2: yeah. Actually, that's a really good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, um, you know, two withdrawers is really. A, you don't really see that. I don't. I wouldn't really see that in my office. Um, two withdrawers aren't coming in you know, to process the conflicts that they're having because there really is no conflict. It's kind of just like two partners living their own lives but happen to be living together. That's kind of what it looks like. Um, and now Pursuer with Star, I actually drew a picture for those who would be watching this. Um, I don't know if you can see it in my a screen. Little bit,
1: but maybe you can just describe it a
2: little bit. Yeah, I'm going to describe it. I just wanted to show you that it looks like an infinity loop. And the reason why is because the cycle can, it can, the conflicts could go on really endlessly um, until someone just decides to walk away or end it. It's going to keep going on. And the way to understand it is, okay, let me give an example just to help illustrate. Yeah. Um, Okay. So one of the couples that I've worked with in the past, um, it was a blended family. The, they both had kids previously from previous marriages And they were coming to me, they were in their first year of marriage, um, really highly escalated couple. Um, They had a lot of um, other underlying like, you know, conflicts or or I guess traumas from their previous marriages um, that obviously was going to be getting in the way in this marriage. Um, But for the purpose of understanding the cycle, I'm just going to give an example of something that would come up. So the wife would be the withdrawer, actually, and the husband was the pursuer. Typically, it's usually the opposite, but in this situation, that's what it was. And what happened was that the wife, you know, due to her own insecurity or, or lack of confidence or whatever other traumas she's went through, um, she really never believed that her husband can actually love her. Um, you know, the fact that she was married to him wasn't enough proof that he really wanted her she was always looking for more and more proof of that and so one of the conflicts they always had was about dinner time where she wanted to have quality time just her and him and he wanted to be with his kids for dinner and have a family dinner time and every time that this would happen there would always be some sort of conflict and the kids would end up feeling rejected because the kids would be sent away from the kitchen and not allowed in um and then the husband would get upset and try to protect his children from feeling any sort of pain so he would say no they could come in the kitchen and it was like this back and forth of you know a conflict that would never really be ending and because the what was being talked about was what EFT calls secondary emotions which is the anger the frustration the criticism the like you don't you know you never do anything for me kind of expression What's that called? Secondary emotions? Secondary emotions, yeah. Um, instead of the more vulnerable pieces, which you know, we tend to uncover in therapy, which are, you know, I'm just so scared that if you don't want to have quality time with me, what does that mean about us? Right? What does that mean about how you view me? Does that mean you don't love me? Does that mean you don't care about me? right? And it was so hard for the wife to really understand her husband's need which was I want to be there for my children and I can't just be there for you. I need to be there for both of you.
1: So you're saying like that part comes out in therapy because there's vulnerability there or as opposed like the secondary emotions that you were talking about, there isn't vulnerability there. It's more like a front, like people are putting up a front in order not to go there to like dig deep. It's scary. Yeah, absolutely. So
2: what you're describing is what I, I kind of call it the safe way of expressing yourself is mm-hmm. through anger um, because all you have to do is just put it on the other person. You're not actually expressing yourself. You're not actually sharing how you feel, the hurt that you feel, um, the rejection that you feel, the pain that you feel, the loneliness that you feel. You're just saying you're the problem and fix it because I didn't do anything wrong. And so then the other person feels blamed and either they will withdraw, right? Or they're gonna feel some sort of anger and express that anger and then withdraw um, or then pursue, right? Depending on the cycle. And what EFT does is it really helps lower those secondary emotions and change them into primary emotions, um, which is more the more vulnerable parts of yourself. Right? Like, I think that if couples were able to share, you know, I'm so scared that one day you're going to wake up and stop caring about me, or you're really going to see me for who I am. And then you're going to realize that you never, you don't really want me anymore. Um, you know, all of these fears that we as humans hold on to, these beliefs that we've created over time about ourselves and what makes us matter, um, really come into the marriage mm-hmm. and it really plays out in a big way. And I think most people struggle with expressing vulnerability because it's hard. It's really hard.
1: Why do you think that is? And do you, do you find it more you know, difficult for certain people from certain areas? Like where does it come from?
2: Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, I think that honestly it goes back to parenting. Um, I'm not going to go into the different attachment styles just for lack of time. And um, if you want to hear more about that, feel free to reach out to me. I can definitely explain it to you. But it definitely has to do with how you were parented. Um, Whether there was safety in the home, whether you were allowed to express yourself emotionally or you were shut down emotionally is really going to be the way how you communicate as an adult. So growing up, if your parent would see you crying and would say, stop crying, stop crying, right, because they couldn't handle it, you learn very quickly crying is not something people want to see. And you hide those painful emotions and people only want to see happiness. So you only show them happiness. Um, that's going to be how you are as an adult and vice versa. If you grew up and you were crying and your, and your mom was like, oh, what's the matter, honey? Like, you know, can I help you? You learn very quickly that vulnerability is okay and you're heard and you're seen And that's going to be okay in your marriage too, because you believe that vulnerability is not a shameful thing, right? Expressing your emotions is not something that's bad or wrong.
1: So how about, you know, how about those people who right now are single and they're currently living with their parents and they're in a situation where, you know, they're ready to get married, but they've been bombarded with these messages all day for the last, I don't know 20 years 27 years that they're not good enough or stop crying and it's just toxic is there any hope for people who live in some sort of dysfunctional environment for them to build homes that are actually the opposite from where they came from yeah so um it's funny i I grew up
2: in a home that was Kind of a little bit of both, I would say. I've really varied, um, and that's obviously that's one of the attachment styles of you know where there's like the in- inconsistency basically, where sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not okay, and so it can get very confusing at times. Um, and I and I really I learned a lot, you know, as I went through life. And I definitely want to say that it's not it's not a forever thing. You're not gonna just stay with what you've learned. I mean, you will if you don't try to change it, I guess. But right. um, the key to that, the answer to that is really self-awareness. Um, and, and when I say self-awareness, I mean really learning yourself and your triggers and how you respond to um, challenges, how you respond to situations, how you are in relationships in general, and really assessing yourself and understanding what your needs are and how you are communicating them. And I think that if someone actually has the awareness of, oh, wow. So I am communicating without sharing vulnerability because I want to show the world that I'm perfect because that's, what's been allowed for me. um, Then, you know, they're, they're learning very quickly that that's what they're doing and it takes work and they're going to have to work on learning how to share their vulnerabilities And if they have a partner who can accept them with their flaws, honestly, that's the most healing out of everything. The most healing thing for any human being is to be accepted with their flaws, to be accepted with any of their weaknesses, and it allows them to be vulnerable. And therefore, they can learn how to communicate that way.
0: Wow.
1: Do you think that, do you think all couples need therapy? <laughs> no, it's just like it's I
2: get this all the time. That's why I'm laughing. Uh-huh. I really do. Because um I think my family members make fun of me because I will recommend therapy to anyone. Um and then obviously, you know, people differ in opinion on this, but I think that my answer is therapy in general, whether couples, individual, you know, as a human being, therapy is always going to be helpful. It's never going to hurt. Right? The only thing that you can do from going to therapy is really learn more about yourself, which is only going to help you. So, in terms of to answer your question about couples, does every couple need therapy? I wouldn't say every couple needs it. I think that every relationship functions differently. Some relationships might go through life just not being as emotionally intimate as others because that's the way it functions. And if both people are okay with that, they're functioning, then it's fine. You know, they don't need to change that to make their relationship different. Um, But at the end of the day, I would definitely think that going to therapy is something that can really only help you gain perspective on yourself and learn how you are in in relation to other, basically.
1: Wow. Uh, Another thing I was thinking about, it popped into my head that was actually very interested in learning a little bit, is when you were talking about the pursuer and the withdrawer, Is it possible for, for example, for the husband and wife to both be pursuers in different things? So, yeah, I'm like, basically, each one has a different, let's say, love language. So the one who gifts is a love language, for example, they're constantly going to be pursuing their spouse for the gifts. And then the other spouse, their love language is quality time, for example. -hmm. And so they're constantly like nagging or, you know, wanting or needing that thing that the other one isn't providing for them. So is there some sort of way for people to like come together and not be in this vicious cycle that you were talking about? Yeah. Um, So what
2: you're describing is the five love languages, right? Which I think most people know about. And I think when when you it's something that's really a, very accurate, people can have different roles in which they pursue each other um, in their relationship. What I was thinking is a lot of times I'll see that um, w- like females can be the pursuer um, in terms of like quality time or just like wanting to have that emotional connection. When it comes to sexual anything sexual or physical, then the man will most likely be the pursuer in that scenario, and a lot of times the woman's the withdrawer. Um, So definitely different roles in the relationship, the cycle can shift, the roles can shift. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they're constantly shifting as people learn more about themselves. Even with my work with couples, their roles will shift as I'm working with them. Like I can have a couple start off where the wife is the pursuer, the husband is the withdrawer. A year later, it's completely the opposite because they're doing so much work and they're navigating how to shift their communication styles. And they're trying to meet each other in the middle. And so it changes things. Um, but it's, it's funny that you brought up quality time because that's one of my pet peeves. Right, so. Oh, it's um, your love language? My love language is quality time. It's probably like the biggest thing on the list. That's and so it's funny because right, so. my husband, it's probably like the lowest on his list. So, like, the one thing that I'm always like trying to get is quality time. And I think it's really important to highlight this specifically for quarantine. Like, I was so excited that we were gonna be home together. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. We're gonna spend tons of time, it's gonna be incredible. And um, lo and behold, I'm noticing that's not really happening. <laughs> and I like um, just the highlight for people out there who have these expectations, whether it's quality time or anything else happening from being in quarantine with your partner. Um, I think that, you know, it's hard and it's disappointing and it sometimes feels like almost harder that the person is right there and they're not actually able to be there for you in the way that you need them to, Right. you know, my husband has to work and that's reality. And just because he's home doesn't mean he's available. And, um, you know, for somebody else, they might feel like their husband might help them more with the kids or you know, whatever it is, the chores that need to happen around the house or, you know, and that's right. not going to happen. Um, and I think that that can be definitely creating a lot of conflicts and quarantine for many people. Um, the high so level. That, of yeah, I didn't hear what you said. Sorry. It's OK. I was just saying that the higher the level of expectation, the more the conflict, basically.
1: So basically lower expectations. <laughs> yeah. Or you learn
2: basically but you know (laughs)
1: um okay if a couple had let's say poor communication skills before quarantine and maybe there's a lot of couples that didn't have such a you know amicable relationship there were some problems already do you think like is there hope for these couples so after after
2: quarantine i think that honestly it's really hard It's honestly really hard being in a relationship that you're not happy in and you're struggling with um, and then having to be around that person 24 seven. It's only going to exacerbate your relationship. And at times it can feel very hopeless and honestly despairing and sometimes dark for some people. And um, I think that at the end of the day, I'm going to, I'm going to offer two perspectives um, that I think would be really helpful for many people, which is, um, first of all, you know, it definitely feels hopeless in the moment. Um, but at the end of the day, like the, this can change, right? Nothing is going to stay forever. That's just the way the world works. I'm not just talking about Corona. I'm talking about like your, your relationship will change. Things will shift in your life. Um, it's not going to stay like this forever, but the two things I'm going to offer is in terms of communication, um, obviously, the more you can talk from a vulnerable place, the, the better it will be for your relationship. I know that for many people, it feels very scary. Um, it feels kind of like not worth it because of the fear of rejection when you're talking from that vulnerable place. It makes it almost like just not worth even going there.
1: Can I interrupt you for one second? Yeah. When course. you say vulnerable, does that include like, crying because sometimes like when people cry it does i don't know if it's coming from a vulnerable place or from like anger
2: it's a good question um to me when someone is crying it's an expression of pain more than anger um anger is usually without tears generally from what i've seen i could be wrong i don't know um but when someone is crying it's usually coming from you know, really feeling hurt. Um, I wouldn't say that you need to cry to express vulnerability. That's not, that's not necessary. Like that's totally not necessary. I can talk and say, you know, I'm scared or I feel hurt or that, you know, you didn't want to spend time with me and it really made me feel like you don't care, but I don't need to cry. You don't need to.
1: Right. I think another reason why couples are scared to be vulnerable Is that they're afraid that if they say their true feelings about how they're feeling, that maybe they're scared of the reaction of what they're gonna say,
2: right? Absolutely,
1: scared of being hurt themselves,
2: right? The fear of rejection is so strong,
1: right? Or the fear of them saying something like, Well, you know what, you also hurt me. Like, oh, you mean like a retaliate,
2: almost like instead of dating, I hear what you're saying, and I think that it defin- for most people, I don't think that being vulnerable right away feels the safest, but what I can say is that, you know, the main, I guess the main issue I've seen across the board with many of the couples that I've worked with is really the same theme. And the theme that I noticed is the partner has a really hard time with understanding their, the need of the other, right? It's really hard for them to take themselves and put themselves in their partner's shoes and understand this is their need and I need to be there to meet that person's need instead of needing to meet my need. That's ultimately the theme across the board. And there could be a mul- so many different reasons that that's happening. Obviously, there could be you know a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of shame. There could be so many different things that are making it difficult for someone to meet their partner's needs, but in general, what I found is the more curiosity and the more compassion mm-hmm. that you have towards whatever the need is, um, the less conflict. So I would, I would create a formula which would look like curiosity plus compassion equals no
1: conflict, basically. Wow, I love that.
2: Um, Let's do really- it again
1: for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> The more curiosity and the more compassion towards someone else's need, your partner's need, the less conflict.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that when your partner is saying, I just need to go play tennis with my friend and you're like, are you kidding me? Like, I just had the most insane day and like you, you promised that we would like spend some time together, you know, like all of, all of those pent up frustrations from the day coming out. Um, that could be one way of handling it, or, you know, there could be some sort of curiosity. Like, I wonder what my husband is going through to need to get away and to need some space. And, and I really want to give that to him. And I want him to be able to have some time with his friends. I want him to have that quality time, not quality time. I want him to have that space that he needs because I care about him and I want to give him what he needs that's like a very easy, quick example of like curiosity plus compassion. Obviously there are other times where it becomes a lot more difficult when the needs come, you know, are just much more painful. Um, Like if the husband is constantly, you know, rejecting the wife's need for help with the children and saying, I just, I can't, I know this happened with one of my um, supervisees was talking to me about one of the couples she's working with and they, one of the main themes was the wife is constantly asking the husband to help her. And every single time he just says, I can't, I can't. And he just doesn't, whether it's with the kids, whether it's with anything with chores, with doing errands, it's just like, Nope, I can't. And so obviously in that type of situation, it's a lot harder to have compassion and curiosity for your partner when it's like the running theme of your marriage. Um, and that's where, you know, talking from a vulnerable place is, probably much more helpful, like if the husband would be able to share, um, you know, really hard for me because I feel like when I do help, all I get in return is criticism or it's not enough. Um, that would be, you know, a way of communicating why he's saying he can't, um, or what makes it difficult for him to not be there for his wife. Um, I don't know if I'm talking too much, but
1: no, this is very interesting.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, We live in a culture and community where the perfect Esha T'chail or Esha T'chail, like you guys say, (laughs) is, uh, you know, she's lauded and praised to be like, you know, that picture-perfect wife. That she does everything for her husband. She cooks everything. She keeps her mouth shut. She just does, 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 does. And she's the woman that everybody wants to be like. But we all know that behind the scenes, that's really not the case. So, I guess what I'm asking you is, what is an Eishar Chayil to you? What is a true Eishar Chayil? Is it someone who, as as it's described in the prayers, or is it more than that? Is there something deeper than that?
2: Um, That's a hard question. I know it's
1: a very loaded question, (laughs)
2: but it's just something. Okay. I'm gonna try my best. I'm not. uh but I will try my best to answer. Um, I guess what I would perceive as an Aisha's would be someone who can really offer um, a source of support to their husband. Um, someone who can be the rock for their partner. Who can? It's not just about holding the household together. It's not just about managing the kids or doing the chores. It's about really having a connection and having... A closeness, uh, bonding, um, where if your partner needs you, you're there for them, right? Whether that's emotionally or physically, um, you know, if they need you to come pick them up from somewhere, or if they need you to, to, if they want to cry on your shoulder, I think that you being their support is really a true ish Chayel, and recognizing that their needs are really just as important as yours.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Does does that make sense to you? you... Yeah,
1: yeah. putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Right. So how does one do that? This is whether it's a man or a woman. How does one put themselves in the other person's shoes without losing their sense of self? You know, like I know that part of making a great marriage is to like think about the other person's needs, right? Mm -hmm. But how do we do that? without forgetting about our needs like how do we achieve that balance do you know what I'm saying I know like it's a lot of work but just to give us a little beginning for that
2: and I understand what you're saying um I totally understand that there's a fear that people have of well, if I constantly give to my partner then where where do my <laughs> needs fit in right I also need to be taken care of I also need to be prioritized I also need to be important um and I think that that's a huge component Um, I think that the goal, and I know this is like this ideal goal that doesn't always exist. The goal is that if both people are actually doing that, that means that you're trying to meet your partner's needs, but your partner is trying to meet your needs. So what happens is, is that your needs get met because even though you're trying to meet your partner's needs, your needs are getting met by your partner trying to meet yours.
1: Mm -hmm. Does that make sense?
2: Uh-huh. And that's obviously an ideal situation In a less than ideal situation. If your partner isn't able to meet your needs and you're just trying to be that amazing issue style, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say to always necessarily have to give in or, or you know, be that person. I think that you, you are just as important and your needs matter too. And if your partner is not able to give you the needs that you have, like that you need, um, then it's really imp- self-care is a huge component to this. I think taking the time to meet some of those needs on your own is something that can be very helpful. It's a Mm. good coping mechanism. It's it's obviously not the same. It's not as positive or healing for um, you to have to go by yourself that present that you wanted rather than have your partner do it for you. But if that is something that won't happen, then I would definitely say do things for yourself. Wow. While also trying to meet your partner's needs.
1: Basically, you're the first person to make yourself happy. You have to be first. You have to be happy first and foremost and before you you know, you try to get it from somebody else. Right.
2: Yeah, but right? that's that yeah, that's not really I guess that's a whole separate thing. To me, yeah. meeting your other meeting the partner's needs has nothing to really do with it just creates a closeness. The more you give to someone, the closer you are, the more you feel connected to them. Like your happiness is, is a totally separate factor to that. I mean, I think that what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, your sense of happiness allows you to give. Is that what you're saying? The more happy you are, the more you're able to be there for your partner. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, I guess. And also the less you would expect for him or her to provide for you.
2: Right. Right. I mean, to me, I look at it, I don't know if happiness is the word I would use. Um, I would probably use, I mean, it's probably all the same. I would probably use the word, maybe just because I'm a therapist, um, Use the word secure, like the more secure you are in who you are, the more secure you are in your sense of self, your identity, um, the less you're going to need your partner to fill those needs for you. Um, I know that, I don't know if I'm, you know, if this is too personal, I'm just going to jump for it. But um, I know that for myself, when I first got married, I had a lot of expectations of, you know, there was a a lot of insecurities. I had a lot, you know, going on before I got married. And when I got married, I kind of was in this dreamland of like, you know, marriage is going to solve it all kind of thing, Um, which obviously I
1: think I was in that dreamland too.
2: (laughs) A lot of new leaders are, Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, you know, Shona Rishona was definitely, it was a very amazing year, but it was a very growth oriented year. There was so much to work through um, because of all of my expectations of, you know, my husband, you know, wanting my husband to fill those needs for me and then learning throughout this journey. um, And I'm really still learning, honestly, that it's not his job it's not his job to fill these unmet needs to make me a more secure human being. Um, That's my job. I need to learn how to be okay with myself. I need to learn how to value myself, um, how to be confident in my own, you know, strengths and weaknesses and not just lean on him to provide that for me. Because then what happens if he's not there, you know, (laughs) then it turns into a conflict, but is it his fault? No, it's not his fault because it's not his job. It's not his job to meet those needs. It's my job to work through whatever I have to work through to value myself more. I can't just depend on my partner to make me feel valued and therefore not work on valuing myself. It's not enough. That's what I'm trying to say. I might feel good, it might create a great connection. And I'm not saying not to do that. What I'm saying is that like, it, it, it's kind of this codependency. I learned that word. Um, and, and codependency is when you're really just, you are so dependent on your partner for so much emotional needs because there's really no you. You're only you with them.
1: Mm-hmm. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people yeah you know? it's really it's hard i mean
2: they feel loved right yeah i mean i think also that they're finally beginning to feel secure because someone is loving them but yeah. then what i was left with was this fear of well what's going to happen if something happens to my husband right then what then i'm all alone again and then i have to deal with all of these things myself and that's too hard right so yeah. i really work through all of this stuff to not be codependent in order to not have to live with this fear. Honestly, it's just not worth it.
1: Wow. I honestly think that if anyone wanted to do couples therapy, I think the first step would be working on yourself. Meaning like, I think individual therapy before couples therapy would probably be very beneficial to a couple because a lot of it stems from people's own, you know, inner insecurities and trauma and, you know, things that they haven't ever really dug deep enough.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that, that any, that's definitely, you know, very, very important. If someone is in a position where they don't want to, I've definitely had this happen with clients where They don't want to go to individual therapy, but their marriage is crumbling, so they're willing to go to couples. Um, What I will say is that with couples counseling, there's a lot of individual work that does happen as well. So, you know, the hope shouldn't be lost if you can't go to individual therapy for whatever reason. Um, But yeah, but individual therapy will help you work through a lot. Um, With couples work, if your partner is there with you, the healing um, it just takes a lot faster. That's what I would say, because if someone's coming in with and struggling with a relationship, but the other person's not there, it can work. It doesn't mean that it won't work, but it just takes longer. For sure. Um, work through all of that.
1: Was on the same page. Yeah. And both people are putting in the work. So are you, are you, do you find yourself more busy at this time that couples are with each other 24 seven? you find that you're getting more and more phone calls so yeah i mean i definitely am getting more phone calls i mean i think that
2: people are just in a very um it's a very challenging time it's a very stressful time i think that um there there are couples who i've been working with for a long period of time and those couples they're actually having less conflict which is very interesting um So that was like a huge, um, an amazing, amazing accomplishment on their part that they're living together all the time and they're actually having less conflict. Um, but in terms of people who are now experiencing more conflict, then yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty much, I I feel like it's, it's automatic, you know, someone you're not getting along with, and then they're in your face every single second of the day. I mean, even if it's just like little things that irk you now, they're just going to be in your presence. Twenty four seven instead of four hours a day,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any tips besides? I know you g- gave that awesome mantra or line about um, curiosity more, and compassion. Yes, the more curiosity and compassion, the less conflict. Mm-hmm. I know you gave that piece of advice, but are there any other practical tips you can give to anyone listening right now um, about how to keep their marriage afloat? I don't know about if we can. I don't know if it's a realistic explication to have our marriages be amazingly wonderful at this time, but just to keep our marriages afloat, any pieces of advice you can give?
2: Absolutely. Okay, so the one thing I found is that even for myself who values quality time like so, so much, I also need space. I need space for my husband. And I was actually really surprised when I first realized this. Um, I think when he left the house, and I was like, oh my God, this feels so nice. Right. Um, and like, it was such a weird feeling for me because I always want him around. Um, I think that the first tip would be making schedules or creating workspaces um, in different locations so that there's some semblance of like alone time or space that you have from each other. I think it's necessary for everyone, right? For sure. uh, you, sometimes you just need to be with yourself for a little bit. And if you could create that, that would be, you know, just a very practical tip um, that I think is really important. Um, the other thing is exercise. The more you exercise, the better place you're going to be in. Um, it just That's just what exercise does. Um, besides for just the endorphins, it just makes you feel productive. And the more productive you feel, the happier you feel, the better you're going to communicate, the better you're going to relate to other people. Um, and the third thing is sleep. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> because it's true. It it's really so is. True. Not that I'm listening to this. I was a scary monster today. I it's am I am in bed is. way too late and <laughs> waking up so many times in the middle of the night. But um yeah, I wish I would listen to myself as I preach, but um like sometimes but, you can't
1: help it. I mean I wanna yeah. sleep like a baby, but actually not yeah. like a baby, I wanna sleep like a man. <laughs>
2: You know, it's funny yeah. is that my husband's the lightest sleeper, and I sleep through like everything. So it's funny. It
1: so funny. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but
2: like one of the biggest things between me and my husband, we're like, my husband gets very um, nervous about not getting enough sleep. So like when it's late at night, he's like, "Okay, frat, like, are you coming? Are you coming to bed?" And, so funny like, the opposite. <laughs> why do I need to come to bed? <laughs> like just because you're tired, and he's just like so nervous that I'm gonna be tired in the morning and not going to be able to get up. So he wants me to go to sleep. And so we created this schedule where it's like, we have every other morning who gets up for the kids type of thing. So it won't be like a right. conflict. But, um, but yes, yeah, sleep is very important. If you can set, if you can at least give yourself eight hours a night, you're going to be a, a better human being.
1: It's just life. A hundred percent. And I, I like need sleep before food, like yeah. sleep first.
2: Sleep is, sleep is so important. Same with me. I, I wish I gave it to myself more, and I really do, and I, I see the repercussions the next day. Yeah. Um, it really, really makes a difference. You're just more snappy You're more irritable, and if you find that you can't you know, go to sleep early enough, if you have – I know this is probably impossible for most people, but if you can take a nap even for like a half an hour, I think it would make a huge difference to your day.
1: I, I took like a 10-minute nap today. And, um, yeah, that definitely helps me. Game changer, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. So, okay. So space, creating workspaces and different locations, exercising, sleeping. But as far as, let's say, when things trigger you,
2: Mm -hmm. yeah. um, So I, any advice about Mm -hmm. what can be done? Absolutely. So the first thing I would say is notice that you're being triggered. Uh, Many people, they're very reactive, they have a hard time recognizing that they're getting triggered that moment, and they're just going to respond without thinking. So the first thing is, look for your triggers, look to see what it is that's been bothering you, and maybe even write it down. Um, And you'll see, if you write it down, you'll notice that there's usually a theme to the triggers. It's kind of all usually related to the same part of you that's making this a trigger. Mm -hmm. And that obviously takes introspection and a little bit of work. But if you write them down, you'll notice that it's really similar types of things are happening that are triggering you. Um, And when you feel triggered, the first thing I would say is, okay, so notice the trigger is one. Two is obviously, I think everybody knows this, but if you can just like count to 10 in your head before you respond, or if you can just take a few deep breaths before you respond to the trigger. That would definitely help. And if you feel like you really can't you know control the reaction that you're having, I would even say, "Tell whoever is triggering you, um, you know, I'm actually being triggered right now, and I don't really think that if I respond, it's gonna go well, so I'm gonna just take a few minutes and I'll come back and I'll respond. Um And that usually works the best. And I think people actually appreciate being told that you got triggered because it gives them a heads up, like, oh, okay. Like, there's no, like, left field, like, anger or criticism or frustration. Like, where is this coming from? It's like, oh, she's triggered.
1: Okay. I like that. I like that. Okay. So, I'm going to ask a little maybe controversial question. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So, there's been a lot of talk about, oh, in, like, in nine months or after this quarantine, there's either going to be like a lot of divorces or a lot of babies. How much do you agree or disagree with this statement? Okay. Um,
2: <laughs> I like, like
1: the first thing people said when this started, do you think there's going to be more babies or whatever?
2: Um, so honestly, it depends if someone has kids because if if you do have kids there's no there's like no time for being intimate. I mean. As unless you really make the time, there's like no time for that. You know um, what,
1: instead of the baby thing, yeah. let me just phrase it this way. Okay. Do you think couples are more likely to be sexually intimate at this time, or do you think less? <laughs> like running to run away from each other? So I definitely think
2: less. Yeah. Um, I definitely think less interested in being sexually intimate. Um, and I think, I think it, it really has to do with the juggling that people have to do, the responsibilities that are in everyone's head and um, just being so tired. And, you know, obviously if someone is exhausted and juggling so much and stressed out about so many things, there's less interest, there's, you know, people are not gonna be as interested in being intimate at the time. Obviously people are still gonna be intimate and at times be in the mood and whatever, but I definitely think there's gonna be less um, happening. Um, about the divorce I I hope that's not true I
1: hope
2: not Uh, I can't predict the future but um, I definitely hope that's not true I hope that people are just taking this opportunity to learn more about each other and to really you know work through their differences Um, I know that that's probably um, varies and I, I just hope that I hope that there definitely won't be more divorces after this
1: amen um and one I have one last question for you because we are running out of time and I can talk to you for hours (laughs) just gonna like pick your brain okay um do you believe a healthy sexual intimate life is correlated with a healthy emotional life in the marriage
2: absolutely 100%
1: like what causes the other because like Some people say like a healthy sex life is what brings a healthy emotional life, and some people say the opposite. Okay,
2: so my belief, and uh, you know, obviously people have differing opinions on this, but my belief is that it's really not, it's not possible. Okay, not possible is a strong word. Um, You have to have an emotionally intimate connection to have a good sex life. I think that, you know, people are kidding themselves, honestly if they think that they can just be intimate and not you know, have a good emotional connection. Um, I mean, they can, but it's not, it's def- for one person, it's definitely not gonna be pleasant or as pleasant as it can be because generally what happens is, is that, if you think, think, of, think of yourself, if you're in a frustrated mood or if you're annoyed at someone, how likely are you gonna wanna have sex with them on a scale of like one to 10? probably like a one, when, when in the world would you want to be intimate with someone when they're annoying and they annoy you and they're critical of you and they make you feel bad about yourself and you can't lean on them emotionally and they're not there for you. I mean, I can't imagine that somebody wants to be intimate in that kind of scenario.
1: I think the emotional connection is more important for the woman because I don't know. I I mean, I'm a college teacher. I don't know if I told you that. And I find that through my experiences of talking to different brides and different women from all walks of life, um, I find that the men don't need that emotional connection as much. Okay. Like the woman, generally speaking, I hate to generalize, but from what okay. I've seen, the women are more likely to need that emotional connection in order to be sexually intimate. But men, men have the opposite effect. Okay, so I wouldn't it, necessarily sexual say, intimacy in order to bond emotionally. They need both, definitely. They need both for
2: sure. Um, I think that for sure, what you're saying is is very accurate. I think men have a need to, you know, they, they, their sexual drive is definitely higher. Um, they're able to, you know, want to have sex even if they're not having an emotionally intimate connection. For sure but I do think that both are necessary to have a healthy relationship. Like a man can't just have the sex and then not have the emotional connection and then think that they're having a healthy relationship. I think that, I don't think that the man would even think they're having a healthy relationship, but I definitely think that they have those needs. And I think that, you know, it definitely helps release any sort of tension that they're holding onto, um, which is why I think it's also really important, you know, to value that I think it's important to value the sex life and to make time for it because especially in a relationship where there is a lot of conflict having sex sometimes can really reduce a lot of that tension that the couples holding on to um, so that's just another 10 thank,
1: thank you for that Wow Afra, yeah. I, I can I have so many more questions for you but I want people to know where they can find you a little bit more about EFT and yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so I have, um, well, I could give you my phone, my client phone number, but yeah. On, um, yeah. You want me to do that? Sure. It's my phone number. You can reach me at three, four, seven, five, zero, eight, one, seven, two, seven. And that's, um, a phone number just for clients. So if anybody wants to reach out, um, and just find out more information about anything I do or the work that I do, you know, even if you just have a question and you don't want to go to therapy, that's fine. You can definitely reach out to me. I'm happy to answer any questions you have.
1: And on social media, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. Um, so I have Instagram,
2: um, and my professional account is at Efrat underscore Turk, L-M-H-C. Um, so you can find me there on Instagram, although to be honest, I'm not so frequent with the postings, but, um, (laughs) Um, yeah you can be now. Um, so yeah, so there you can find me there. Um, my email is efratturk 2 at gmail.com. Um, you can also email me if you want. Um, you know EFT is a really amazing modality. I obviously use other modalities and it's not my only go-to, but in general with couples that's what I find to be the most effective. Um, it's EFT. Really- EFT, Emotion-Focused Therapy by Sue Johnson. Um, It really allows you to have a look at the relationship in a non-blaming way. No one person in the relationship is going to be blamed for this. And I think that's the most amazing part of EFT. You know, so many couples go to counseling and then they kind of feel almost like alienated. Like the therapist sometimes takes one side and says, well, you have to change this. And then they kind of feel like it's not a safe place anymore. Like, feel like
1: it's
2: fair. Yeah, totally. And I've had clients come to me after having gone to other people and then saying how amazing it is to actually feel like they're able to be heard and not have to feel blamed. And both people aren't being blamed because honestly, it's just about understanding the cycle and their unmet needs and how they were raised and how it's affecting their communication. And how can you blame someone for really just responding the way that they learned how, you know. it's you can't, you can't blame them for
1: that. Wow. I love that. Efra, thank you so much for taking your time and giving us your valuable advice to everyone out there who's listening. And uh, I hope that people will be contacting you. I'm sure lots of people are going to be needing yeah. <laughs> advice and support. Well, but,
2: but yeah, I'm happy to help in any way. And I'm happy to be a support to anyone who needs.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Efra.
2: Have
1: a good
0: night. You too. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review. That would mean so much to me. And I would love to hear your feedback about the show and how I can make this better for you. And if you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at Soul KK. Have a great day.